We're taking a short break this week. We'll have fresh interviews with Australia's technology leaders soon. Hello and welcome to this week's CXO Challenge interview on the IT News Podcast. On the show this week is Ryan O'Connell, the Chief Technology Officer for Humanitix. They are a social impact startup that does event ticketing and direct all profits from their booking fees to education projects for disadvantaged kids, both locally and overseas. Ryan is growing Humanitix's technology team and joins us to talk platform architecture and expansion plans. Please enjoy the conversation. It might be good to just talk a little bit about Humanitix as an organization, but also specifically about the business model. Sure. So we like to think of Humanitix as the humane ticketing platform. This is because we transform the booking fees that everyone hates into a force for good. And we do that by donating 100% of our profits from booking fees to help close the education gap. And it's a really novel business model, we think, where we can use technology and all the great things that technology at scale that creates these huge businesses, but then use that scale to create a donation engine that keeps giving back to itself. And especially at scale, that, that model will really come through. And it makes a benefit across the spectrum. So like all the way through to the attendees who attend an event get to have a great feeling because they know that part of the funds that they've provided are going to a good cause to the organizer who by choosing us as the event platform is making that choice to help the booking fees go to close the education gap, but also at no extra cost to themselves. We aim to be not only the humane tech ticket platform, but also hopefully the cheapest and also the best so that people don't have to make a sacrifice to do good. And then also to ourselves, working for a business with an impact and a cause helps morale and gives people a reason to come in and do great things every day. And so when you say it's to close the education gap, can you talk a little bit about what it's doing there and how the causes are chosen that you support? In Australia, we have a local charity, Yallery, which helps send in Indigenous students onto higher education, which is a great cause. And then Room to Read, which is helping young children, primarily girls in the third world, get education. And then also we have a range of other charities in the US who are looking for local ones and then we'll support Room to Read. And in New Zealand, we have a local charity and we support Room to Read globally. How they're chosen, there's a bit of a process that goes in there. I mean, Room to Read came to us through our partner Atlassian, who's been a big backer of Humanitics. Now we were aligned on helping close the education gap and it just so happens that their foundation gives a lot of money and a lot of, went a lot of research into Room to Read to make sure that they can get the most bang for their buck. It's a great cause and all that sort of stuff. So we were introduced to Room to Read from Alassian and also agreed that it was a great cause, which led to Alassian giving us the first impact investment that we know well, we've really heard of because their foundation exists to, again, help close the education gap. By giving thematic seed capital, they are investing that money to come out and then create a multiplier on the money they give us as a donation. So they don't get the money back in terms of shares or dividends. They get the money back as in more money will end up in the end calls to room to read. Can you talk a little bit about the IT setup uh, within the organization and sort of the team structure at Humanitics? Yeah, sure. So I was actually brought on to build the platform that we have today. So that started after Adam and Josh, the co-founders, started the company um, and they had a few proof of concepts. The first one was actually just licensed and then they actually built a, a small proof of concept in WordPress that when I was hired was quickly fallen over but had proved the model. So I was brought on and we rapidly had to get our platform out. I think it came out in like under six months to start the starting points of the platform we have now. And now that platform's completely built in-house. We have eight developers now, but that's only just recently grown 
right at the beginning, well, this is myself to start off with. And then we grew to three, three months after that. And then for a long time, we'll just four or five. But what we like to concentrate on is building the best ticketing platform and the best ticketing software. So we use a lot of SaaS providers to help us achieve this so that we stand on the shoulders of giants and just concentrate on building ticketing software. We think it's in a really good place at the moment. At the start, we're in a feature race because we're building new software to get all the features that a lot of our competitors had that we didn't. But now we're in a really good point where we believe we have at least most of these. A lot of them we think are better than our competitors. And so a lot of our growth forward and the technology side is making it better and faster, more scalable. And then we will sprinkle in a lot of new features as well. Mm. And uh, maybe if you can step back a bit there or just sideways and talk a little bit about the process that you've undergone uh, since you joined in terms of standing up that platform or moving from what sounds like minimum viable product to a full sort of production use case. So what, what was involved and how did you make some of those sort of technology choices and decisions and architecture decisions? Our technology choices from the beginning were designed we use like a MERN stack, so we use JavaScript throughout the stack and then you know, MongoDB or Atlas for the database for the speed that we needed to go at using one language across the stack, also integrated well with MongoDB Atlas to give us the data structure we need and work with really fast because having that document model allows us to migrate data really quickly, create new ideas and schemas really quickly. And then having that data flow all the way through the stack that we use has really benefited us to move at speed. Now, at the start, we were moving very, very fast. The smaller features would go out in a few days. A lot um, bigger features would take a few weeks, and some in the middle would just you know take one week. And really, really punch them out fast. Now, we still do move very fast. We still pivot when we need to. That real fast phase, it was really accelerated in the first six months to get all the features that we were sort of minimal requirements. And then even for the year after that, we're sort of moving not quite as fast, but nearly to get the extra features that just get us across the line. And that pace has, we're still releasing a lot of stuff, but a lot of that is going into engineering the stuff that we already have for the scale and the success that's come. So instead of sending out 100,000 orders a month, going to millions of orders a month, that obviously comes with its challenges. Tech-wise, we're concentrating on that for the scale because it's at the scale where the, the real benefits come. Mm. And how have you made sort of decisions around what to build yourself versus what to sort of bring in? I know you mentioned that you have brought in a lot of sort of SaaS um, uh, capabilities and you've sort of incorporated those into the sort of end-to-end -end platform. So you, you're obviously orchestrating a lot of different components to make up this end-to-end -end ticketing platform. Basically, the decision just comes down to is it out there? Does it exist? And how core it is to what we're doing and the cost. We sort of model that up. And whether we want to spend time or, and how much time it saves us. With Atlas, for example, we don't have to have a database engineer. Don't have to worry as much about backups. That was sort of an easy choice. But other ones, like we use a lot of search as a service, which we've actually moved to Atlas Search. Then we use stuff for our images, some stuff for authentication. If it's not core to what we're building, like if we're building something, you know, that checks people in, which is when you know, they check into the event, that's called ticketing. So like we don't want to use someone else to do that because we want to really own the experience around that. But if it's something that's not related to ticketing, we would look first for a service that exists. And then also we benefit a lot from a lot of our partners really believe in what we're doing. So it's sort of a double benefit of using a service where people are experts in their domain and also them giving it to us a lot of times at a discount, which we're really thankful for. Mm, okay, cool. And that makes sense. In terms of the uh, strategy of the organization, but particularly the technology strategy, has that changed much in the past two years due to the pandemic? 
Well, we've pivoted rapidly as things changed with the pandemic. I mean, 2020, when it first happened, we saw a real sharp drop off in events, particularly in Australia. Events went quickly from 100 people to 50 people to 10 people to no people. And a lot of that was across Australia was a really dramatic shift in, to event organisers. So we pivoted that time to create the Virtual Event Hub, which is a place where a lot of organisers were using, say, Zoom or even Facebook to share their video for their online events. But it wasn't really integrated into the platform nicely. People could just share the link if they had it quite easily so that they wouldn't have to buy a ticket. And they couldn't really have an experience around the video. So we created a virtual event hub where people could upload speakers, have a description, they could embed the video there. And then without giving out their video link, that each ticket would have a unique link so that only one person can view the virtual event at each time. And that was actually built in about 10 days very quickly from when we realized we had to get something out the door very quickly just to keep events going, to give them another option besides shutting down completely because if they couldn't pull it off online with our help, that they'll just have to shut down and refund all the tickets, which would obviously hurt them and us and the people who potentially wanted to go to the event if they can't still do it. So that really helped having the scheme list and the document database there. So to just really quickly have a whole new feature spun up with no migrations and get it out quickly. Hmm. That's interesting that you you ended up going into the kind of event space almost or, or some of the event administration space, uh, but as, as a um, way to keep your part of that event experience going. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, we continue to grow more and more into as an events platform to how much more we support the event organizers throughout their journey. So as we get bigger and bigger, more features will come on board and go into stuff like wristbands and stuff like that. They're all things we'll look into eventually. Now, we've come together today to talk a little bit about uh, MongoDB and uh, how that's sort of come into the frame uh, with your organization. Maybe you can give us a sense of how it came in initially and what work you've done on that specific uh, platform. Yeah, awesome. So originally, when I first started, I had a sense that I wanted to use a document database just because I knew that we didn't really have the mental model of everything. And I worked with MongoDB in the past and had great experiences. So, but actually when we first started, we were backed by Azure from Microsoft. They had something called Cosmos DB, which had a MongoDB API. So we chose to use that to give us future for, so if we had to move, we could to MongoDB when we weren't locked into a cloud platform, which actually did happen. We found that their use and their API didn't meet all our expectations. So we then moved to Atlas and that was an easy experience. We were able to migrate really easily. And then that's when we really started picking up using more of the platform experiences that they have to offer. So from there, originally we had two separate platforms, like in New Zealand and Australia, we're sort of separate. You have to log into each platform separately. And then from there, we used you know Atlas to migrate them back into one sort of platform. So like there's, you know, if you're a user in Australia, you're also a user in New Zealand. And then we started to use more of their, like their platform features. So first one we're using is sort of like their data db streams and their stitch triggers to sort of stream off the database so when a change is made we can action or something that's sort of unrelated to the first change to keep our applications running smoothly and also like use that to create an audit logger of what's happening in the database and then some of the more exciting ones i mean those ones are very important but they're sort of behind the scenes is more recently we've used realm which is their offline first or it's a whole solution but we use the offline database sync to create our offline app which is a really good experience for event organizers because for a number of reasons, on the day when everyone's coming to your event, it's really important because it's like one of the last interactions you have with the customer in their journey because you know they'll buy their ticket, they'll have communication pre-event, but then when they get to the event, they've got to check in. And often how long they wait to check in can sort of shape how they feel when they go into the event. So it's really important. And it's also quite stressful because like there's the biggest lines, everyone's there. 
So it's really important that's really fast. So even pre-realm, we build our own solution, which proved to be very hard to have offline sync working all the time. So with Realm, we're able to build that really quickly. It's actually released in a while now, and everyone can have like an offline first checking experience where it doesn't matter if there's like 10,000 people turning up and the tower's overloaded, if they can go offline or if they just have the, the events in the bush so they don't have no internet access, they, they can check everyone in and it syncs up seamlessly afterwards. That's been a great success. And then some of the other services like we're using the new Atlas Search. Previously, we're using some other search providers where we have to sync all the data across, which changes lots of challenges of getting in and out of sync and changes we made to say our data schemas weren't always reflected as quickly as we'd like. But with the search built into Atlas, we now use that to power more and more of our searches, which has been great and really fast having like a sort of Lucene built in there for text-based searches. Something that was mentioned uh, in some of the materials I saw was that Humanitics has got some uh, aspirations for international expansion. I wondered if you could just give us a sense of how the sort of platform that you've developed would support your international expansion plans, for example. Sure. So we're technically with Australia, New Zealand, Fiji and the US at the moment. You can, you can create an event in any of those currencies. We are wanting to make a bigger move in terms of putting staff on the ground in the US. Our co-founders were actually in the US speaking with a lot of business leaders in March 2020 when the pandemic first went down. They were one of the first people to come back and go into quarantine in Australia. So we're actually just gearing back up as, as the US is coming out and a lot of people, the vaccination rates have gone up to, to go more strongly into the US. As a platform, we've built it now that we can scale multi-regional and we have it so that you know we can score data regionally if we need to and we can support multi-currencies as we do already so that we can process those currencies and pay out in different currencies so the platform is set up to do that what we're looking to in the future would be as we get at the moment it's 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 really in, in atlas it's taking all the load very well but as we grow we're looking into like geo sharding you know where we split some of those data bases across the current regions and, and into like maybe regions in the west and east coast of America to say if we were serving like large parts of those markets and then also they'll serve as well you know we're going to Europe and we have to st store the data in Europe we've been looking into it for about a year and a half and then making changes where we need to to, to be able to support multi-regional events mm, okay cool and just a final question, what's sort of, and I know this is maybe a bit trick, I've been rephrasing this a little bit, um, given the situation in Australia, um, but I was after sort of a sense of what excites you about potentially the rest of this year or potentially what's happening uh, for you personally or your organization in 2022. Oh, definitely like, it's a really exciting point. Like, like the pandemic's been terrible for everyone, but when we pivoted last year, it was really tough for many event organizers, but it did show that our model was strong and that we had good vision and leadership to get through it. And also really encouragingly, we saw firstly early last year when New Zealand was one of the first markets reopening, that how quickly in-person events bounce back. People really, you know, after being locked down, really want to get out there and, and see each other. And just like even in lockdown, the, the amount of goodwill and people that have been hearing about humanities that I know will be using us when they can is really exciting. So even as, and Australia's backing away, not all of Australia, but Sydney's currently where I am is in lockdown currently at the moment. But I do know that uh, when we come out of it, there'll be a strong rebound and that we are gaining market share even in these tough conditions. And then, you know, on the back of what we're just talking about, it'd be really exciting to go into like US is a huge market when we get over there, go over there now. So as we pick up momentum and I guess like a fan base of organisers over there, we're really excited to see how that grows. You know, the scale we can accomplish in the States. And I think other markets will probably follow 
soon after, once, once we get a foothold there. It'll be really exciting. And that's the podcast for this week. We'll be back with an exciting new interview next week. Until then, you can catch all the latest headlines in Australian IT over at itnews.com.au.